Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
you to know that I'm proud of you guys. I, I see your hearts. I know who you are and the people that you've become. And, uh, and I want you to know that as a church, we're praying for you in this next phase of your life. I, when, when I graduated, I was scared. Uh, I was terrified, actually. And then the next year, I wasn't doing anything. I was depressed. Um, and I pray that doesn't happen to you. Um, I pray that the call of God is on your lives and that you respond to it. Uh, with all your life, with everything. We, we've got a gift for you, and uh, it's some chocolate, because you can't go wrong with chocolate. But also, too, in there is a compass. And what I want you to do is take that with you where you go, and I want that to be a reminder of your true north. You are going to have people come up to you, and I know you've already experienced this, and they're going to tell you, this is true north. This is what truth is, all right? And it's going to challenge you, what you believe, and everything like that. But what I want you to remember is that this is your true north. This is what we believe. And if you will make this first and foremost in priority in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't go wrong. So I hope that compass just reminds you. It always points north, Right? And that's what the Word of God is. It always points you in the direction that you need to head. And so when those other voices creep in, even when your own voices creep in, put that first. Make that your true north. All right? Can I pray for you guys? Would you raise out your hands and join me? Father, we thank you for this, these two, Lord, and Hayden as well. Father, I pray that you would go with them, Lord, that they would feel your presence. Father, I pray that you would call them or renew the calls that you've already placed on their hearts. And I pray that they would follow you in what your word says, Lord, in what your voice says. Father, I pray that you would just uh, be with them in this next phase, guiding them, Lord, using them. Give their life a deeper meaning and purpose, Lord. And help us to support them in everything that they do. Father, we thank you for their parents, their grandparents, Lord, and all that they've done in raising these two, Lord. We pray a special blessing be upon them as well. Lord, again, we give you praise for the people that you created them to be with their unique gifts and personalities, Lord. Use them. We just ask this in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Psalm 145, beginning at verse 1. I was, I was going to continue the, the sermon series on heroes of the faith, and God just changed that all up, and uh, uh, we want to move in a different direction today. Most of you know about the research organization called Barna. 
They are this Christian research group that gives us a lot of insight through surveys and analytics that they do. I get, to, I, I get through our district access to things uh, as a pastor, and recently they did this massive project where uh, they, they, they interviewed young people across nine countries, 25 languages, where they engaged with kids aged 18 to 35 years old and asked them questions about their faith and spirituality. According to this study, uh, here's what the data shows about these millennials down to Gen Z. And I should point out these younger millennials because not like my wife who is a hot, beautiful woman, but she is an older millennial. And I just found out through this study that she is what they call a geriatric millennial. So, if you're like her and born from 1980 to 1985, you are a geriatric millennial. And she told me if she's a geriatric millennial, what does that make you since you're seven years older than me? I'm not sure. But here are the trends. Younger millennials and Gen Z all agree that they are connected and yet they feel alone. They are connected but feel alone despite having all these amazing ways to connect, right? Besides feeling lonely, many uh, young adults and students say they are spiritually open. They are spiritually curious. That explains, though, why there is a, a rise in witchcraft today and New Ageism. They are hungry. They are hungry for otherworldliness. They are hungry for spiritual things. The data also shows that this is very much an age of anxiety for them, of worry, of insecurity. I have never seen the levels of anxiety that we are seeing today across so many people, and it's not just younger people, right? I had never experienced anxiety up until a couple years ago, and it was heavy, and it hit me hard. Today, these young people are just waiting for the next thing to hit. They're expecting that. You think what a drastic effect that COVID had on these young people, how everything was shut down and how uh, everything that they're told, you know, we're, we're going to have all these people dying, and, and they, we experienced some of that. You think about how hard that is for an adult to process, but we think about how hard that was for our kids to process. Life totally changed for that time period for a lot of us, but especially for them. So it's an age of anxiety, but here's what's great. They're looking for answers. They're looking for answers. We need to hear that, and we need to accept that as a call on our lives. Amen? Interestingly, the data points say that human suffering and global conflict are among the top issues that raise spiritual doubts for these kids, for this next generation. They are having trouble processing the brokenness of this world with what they believe. And then I love this. I loved being a youth pastor because of this, but this generation is longing to make a difference in the brokenness of this world, especially if they can do that in conjunction with a family that they worship with. 
That's what they want. They want to join others in a faith community and take on the brokenness of this world. So these are the trends that we're seeing. Here's something hard, though. Here's something that was like a gut punch to me. In the last 15 years, millions of church kids have left the church and have turned their back on their faith. I've seen it in way too many cases of kids that I was their youth pastor. Way too many. Kids once vibrant in their faith. Kids who told me that they had a, felt a call to pastoral ministry now have turned their back on the faith. That cannot continue. We need to be more intentional as followers of Christ with this next generation. Psalm 145, would you stand in honor of God's word? I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name. I will make your name known amongst people forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us through it today. Call us, Lord, in what you'd have us do. Give us wisdom on how to reach this next group. We love and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Listen to this breakdown of our 18 to 35-year-olds. 22% of those surveyed identify themselves as prodigals. They own that. They attended church at one time, but they have walked away from it, and they have turned their back on their faith. 22%, 1 in 5. 30%, 3 in 10 are nomads or lapsed Christians. They in, they identify themselves as Christians, but not have not attended church in the last week, in the last month, in the last six months. So this group would say, yes, I'm a Christian. And then we'd ask them if they go to church, and they'd say no. And we'd ask them, well, have you done anything in the last six months, anything spiritual? And they'd say, I can't remember. But you're a Christian? Yeah. The next group, 38%, the biggest group, are the habitual churchgoers. They describe themselves as Christians, and they have attended at least once in the last month, but they do not have our Christian set of core values. They have no core beliefs. They aren't engaged disciples. They go to church, but they're not the church. 
They have no interest in living out their faith or following this Jesus Christ, but they think themselves as good, moral people. Why? Because they go to church. The last one is the 10%, and these are what's called the resilient disciples. They attend church regularly and are engaged in being the church and serving. They are, they are trying to follow Jesus Christ. They are firmly committed to what the Bible says. They believe it is the word of God, that it is their authority, that it is their true north, and they are committed to this path. They express a desire to see society transformed as an outcome of their faith. But it's only one in ten. So we see 90% are in trouble, but praise God, they're open, right? This is the calling that falls on us, and I want us to be used by God to reach these young people like we never have. I want us to be intentional about this. I want us to look at how we are engaging this group. I want us to talk to this group and ask them how we can engage them better and what we need to do and what they need. And I want us to listen to them and hear what they have to say. I'm hoping today that we get to the place where we understand what is at stake, the place where we buy in. I hope we get to the place where we're, not, we're no longer having to beg people to teach these young people. And that we have a group lined up and we have to turn some away to be teachers and helpers. We're at the place where we love seeing kids here, right? We pray for them. We bring them up here. And right now we're looking at the possibility of having to shut down Wednesday nights because we don't have teachers. That can't be. Not if we care about them. That cannot be. Now, if we're going to reach these young people, then the first thing we need to do is really help them understand the story that they are in, right? This is huge. Whether we understand it or, or, or not, we all see the world through a lens of a story. What this group is trying to figure out or understand what heck what a lot of the adults in here are trying to figure out is and understand is how do we make sense with all make sense of all the pain that we see in this world compared to all the the beauty mixed together how can there be both Everybody in this room has seen the ugly brokenness of this world, right? We've seen death. We've seen addiction. We've seen betrayal. We've seen horrible abuse. We had a man that stabbed a person in Willard, killed a pregnant woman and her child. We've seen way too many suicides. We've seen way too many people ODing. And on the other side of that, we see stunning beauty, though really beautiful things, gorgeous acts of sacrifice and kindness as well. So what's the story? What's the lens where, where there is a world that has both these things that makes sense with what 
we believe. This is what kids are trying to figure out, right? This is important because this story, this lens is how they will process how they see everything in the world. It affects how you see everything and in turn it affects everything that you do. How you spend your time, how you use your talents, what you do with your money, what you do with your abilities, your heart, your emotions, all comes through how we see this story playing out. I want to address some common popular stories of our day and then tell you the one true story so that we can help understand this beauty and this pain that we see. Story one is there is no God. There is no authority higher than me, right? The story believes that we exist by random chance. Something happened and through billions of years of evolution, we are here today. So this is the only reality that we see. Pain and death are just biological, biological reality. These aren't things that are meant to be solved. They're just the way they are. On the other side of that, we see the beauty, right? But there is nothing special about these things. They're, they are just chemical reactions. Love just a chemical reaction of your brain. There is nothing deeper through this story. And if you own this story, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, right? Tomorrow you will cease to be end of story. Story number two, there is a God or gods or some force around there, but they are indifferent. So yes, there was a creator to this world, but they are not involved in anything with us today. They created the world and they have given us this beauty so that we could admire it. And yes, there is pain. And yes, there are problems. But they will not interfere and help with any of that. Like in the first story, you're on your own. The universe is a big place. You are a tiny, insignificant speck in the grand scheme of things. And soon you will cease to be and your life will not matter. If you're a good person, which of course you are, in this story you can get to heaven. The standard for goodness is nothing except that what you believe, because people in this story always see themselves as being good because they can always point to somebody else who is worse than them. That's the bad person. I'm a good person. I'm better than them, and I deserve heaven. Then there is a story that I hate. There are probably people in this room that subscribe to it. In this story, there is a God, but this God has scales. Scales where you are weighed in the end. And your good deeds better outweigh your bad deeds. Most world religions land in this particular place, including some messed up forms of Christianity. A lot of people buy into this, that there is a, a God who created us. And not all, but most suffering and pain and death happens because we don't do what God has commanded us to do. He is generous to the obedient in the story, but he is against the disobedient. And when you die, he will weigh you. And your good deeds better outweigh your bad deeds. Then you'll get to heaven. How in the world this is biblical Christianity, I, I have no clue. This is the anti gospel. Christ 
came according to the Bible, not to condemn this world, but to save this world, right? John 3.17, if you know 3.16, memorize 3.17. He did not come with scales. You cannot earn salvation. This is not what we believe. We believe in the gospel, in the good news that brings me to the only story that is actually true. And yes, there is a creator of this universe, triune in nature, who created this world and universe, including mankind and everything in it. And do you remember what he said about it? He said it was good. And after God created this world, he walks and has, the, has a face-to-face relationship with mankind. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. And this has nothing to do with actual nudity. This is all about the state of our heart. Can you imagine a world where the temptation to hide does not even exist? Or that haunting question of am I enough isn't always floating around in your head? Or that you have to hide part of you because you're scared that somebody in the church is going to learn that thing about you that you're hiding, right? They're going to learn about who you really are. No, you're bare. You're naked. Everybody can see everything about you. And what? You're unashamed. Can you imagine that? The Bible tells us that things didn't last long, right? Mankind rebelled. We rejected that. We rejected God and tried to put ourselves in his place, right? Because we thought we could do it better. And I hope you realize that worship is trying to get back to where we were. Because in worship, we bow down, we throw our crown at his feet, and we declare him God of our lives and his will, right? But the rebellion is all about taking those crowns and putting ourselves in God's place, right? As a result of our disobedience, sin and death entered into this world, of course it would if we're God, right? A world that was good was corrupted because we tried to play God. And as a result today, we see the decisions that we make when we play God and how they affect people and hurt people every day. The story explains how we can have beauty and pain, why there is suffering, because we rejected God, because we chose to do horrible things. We chose and choose still today to lie, to steal, to cheat, to kill, to hurt people. We turned our back on God and said we could do it better, thinking that we could do it better, and we're dead wrong. The beautiful part, though, is that our creator, even in that state that we rebelled and rejected him, our creator moves towards us and offers us forgiveness, offers us reconciliation, offers us a second chance. Not that we earned it, Not that we repented and said, we're going to be good, and then you come. No, he did it first, and we respond to that in repentance. 
Our God not only does that, not only moves towards us with the Israelites through the temple, through the tabernacle, but our God also put on flesh and lived amongst us. What God would stoop to that level? The writer of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. My friends, we have an empathetic high priest. Do you get that? You who have that secret thing in your life that you struggle with, that you want to hide, you have an empathetic high priest that knows it, that wants to help you with it. You feel shame all the time, he wants to rescue you from that. You feel lonely, you feel rejected, you feel anxiety, you feel betrayal. He knows what all of that felt. And I could show you in the Gospels where he experienced all of those things. You have a God who knows what you're going through. And then he went to the cross to defeat sin and death. We've all heard that story, right? We all had no clue at first who this guy was, this, G, this Jesus, this, this man, this Jew who lived 2,000 years ago, and we heard these amazing claims that he died for us. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit revealed it as truth to us. Do you remember the moment it became real? That Jesus did die for you to save you, to redeem you? And because of that grace that was shared with you, right, even when you were steeped in sin, even when you were deep in filth, you were set free by his love and his sacrifice. Do you remember how that weight was lifted off of you? Do you remember how you said you'd follow him the rest of your life? Do you see now how when you mess up, He disciplines you. He corrects you because he loves you. He reminds you that your debt has been paid in full, that there are no scales at the end of eternity. Do you remember that this is not dependent on anything that you do or can do, but only on what he did? And do you praise him for it every day of your life? Do you remember that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion? Not I will carry it on, he will carry it on. The story's not done there because God not only put on flesh and came into this earth, but God dwells inside of us through the Holy Spirit. He empowers our natural giftedness. He fills us. He seals us. He's given us spiritual gifts, right? And he's, they, these gifts are meant to be used in whatever domain he calls us to, whether at the concert, whether on vacation, whether at our work, right? He calls us to drive back the darkness with his light. This is our story. And yes, there is brokenness that comes from our rejecting him, but he drew near to us, he saved us, and he calls us today to join him in mending that brokenness and establishing his kingdom forever. We 
are on the front line of a war, the front line where millions of our young people are turning their back on their Lord and Savior because they don't get the story. My friends, we need to do something. We need to be more intentional with our kids. Teens, this is what you're called to. This is our purpose. There is nothing greater than you can do. You're trying to figure out what the next stages of your life are. This is the greatest thing that you can do. This is the best your life can be. This is a life of incredible depth and meaning, internal significance. And I'm here to call you into that. I'm here to stand next to you. I know there's other people in here as well. I'm not here to call you to just get together on a Sunday and sing some worship music and hear a good message or a bad message and then just go out and do your own thing. No, I want to join together with you. I want to see a people come to know the God of the universe and have their lives flipped upside down like mine was. That's why I wanted to do our Serve Our World Day because I wanted us to be reminded that we need to get out of this building and go serve people and help people and share the love of Jesus Christ with them. There is a job to do. And it's not just about coming to church. We come here to get equipped We come here to get encouraged. We come here to stand next to each other. But then we go out there into that brokenness, bringing his kingdom. That's what we're called to do. You hate the darkness and brokenness out there? Do you think he doesn't? He sent us to do something about it, to join him. We don't even have to do the heavy lifting. He's already at work in that. We just need to join him in what he calls us to do. The only question is, will you join in with that? Will you make it a priority to come to church and be equipped? And then will you realize that you're an ambassador when you go out of this place? This is the only story there is. This is how we make sense of suffering and beauty and redemption and loss. All other stories are counterfeit that lead you to rot. We've got to know this. We've got to see this. We've got to know the story. We've got to be a part of this good news so that we can share it. And the church, this is why the psalmist writes this. This is the story they understand. David, let me read it to you again. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my king, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. And every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. 
Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Listen to this. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Do you see why somebody would write this? They're like, I've been redeemed. I am beloved by the God of the universe. I have been bought with a price, right? I have been lifted out of the pit. I have been lifted out of the muck and the mire. He has set my feet on something solid so that I can move. You have put a song of praise in my mouth and I can meditate on it like I have no idea where I would be if he wouldn't have rescued me. My bloodline is not the best, right? Alcoholism, divorce, drugs, betrayal, idolatry, suicide, jail, violence. And the Lord God, for the last 40 years that I've known him, has shown me his patience, his steadfastness, his ridiculous, undeserved love. David sees that. He gets that, and that's why he writes what he did. And David says, I'm going to tell everyone about it. I'm going to praise you, Lord, and then I'm going to tell everyone about it, and I'm going to meditate on it, and I'm going to remember it, and I I am going to commend your glorious works to the next generation. That's the call for us, right? Teens, you have to understand the story that you're in. Let me warn you, the story has a very real enemy, right? One that comes to seek, to destroy you. He hates you. He wants you to hate yourself. He wants you to harm yourself. He wants you to cut yourself, to burn yourself. He wants you to feel shame. He wants you to feel like you're not good enough, like there's something wrong with you. And he tells you counterfeit stories to get you to believe it. And if you will pay attention Behind every TV show, every movie, every song, everything that you stream, there is one of these false stories most times speaking these lies into your life. And you have to be careful of that. You have to recognize that, right? The the enemy wants to draw you away from the true story so he can separate you and kill you. He wants to drive a wedge between you and your parents. you've got to know the true story so that you can recognize the false stories. Adults, this is where we come in. This is the calling on us. We have to teach the teens the story, right? Every chance we get. And verse 4 is what spoke to me. We need to get this one generation commends your works to another. Adults, we pass this down. In order to do that, We must know the story. We must be living the story. Parents, adults, this is our call. This is our responsibility. Teach this. Get your kids in here every chance you can so that they can hear this. Proclaim it at home, right? Kids are turning their backs because they don't get the true story the gospel, the good news. 
Not only must we do that, but we must embrace verses 8 and 9. We must be a church of unrelenting grace. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Does that describe me? The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. We must first receive this unrelenting, unmerited grace. The grace of God must rest on you in such a way that it heals you from all the things that you need to be healed from. Some of you have some deep scars, some deep hurts, some deep things that you struggle with. And if you want to pass this grace on to others, you have to experience it. The broken parts in you need to be filled by this grace. Because get this, we will hand down what we are more than what we say. You hear that? We will hand down what we are more than what we say. Adults, teens, we need to bring whatever is in the darkness into the light and let God's grace smother it. We need to fall towards the cross, embrace to the cross, cling to the cross, Every time, every day, get some brothers or sisters to stand next to you. Do not hide it. That's what the enemy wants to do because he knows if you'll hide it, you'll hide yourself and he can pick you off. This church must be a safe space to grow in, to share the things that we struggle with. We are all broken. Traveling this road together and we need a family to be there for us. I don't want to hand any weights to my kids. I don't want to hand any negative addictions to them. I don't want to pass them on. And if you're like me, then you have to confess them and bring them into the light continually, daily. Teens, God has an unreal amount of grace for you. And if you're not careful, the accusations of the enemy are going to get you to hide and to lie and not to step in the light, but to stay in the darkness. And when you do that, you actually give the enemy power over you. You give the enemy a foothold over you, and he will drag you to hell. That's what you see in these other stories. That's the enemy's goal. And I want you to hear me say that we are going to be a church we are going to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. We must be a place of unrelenting grace. We must be a place that speaks truth. We must apply it to ourselves, and we must extend it and share it with those people he puts into our life. Adults, we need you. The data that I spoke of talked about keys to having a a shot with resilient disciples with these young people and i want to focus in on one of them and challenge you with it that one is we must have meaningful relationships adults we need you to be teachers and mentors and involved in these kids lives you are not too old you are not too out of it 
They need you to just be the way that you are. In fact, I saw one thing in here that said that, that this generation is really clear about. They said they don't need us to be cool. In fact, if we try to act cool, we come across as cringy. These kids don't need that. They need real. They need authentic, right? They need you and, and me to be involved. What they need are meaningful relationships with men and women that understand God and live in the story and have embraced the story and live it out authentically, not pretending to have it all together, right? And at the same time, though, truly following the path of Jesus Christ. What I would like to do today is to invite you to become involved in these young people's lives. Outside of here, on a table, there's going to be a sign-up sheet. And what we're asking you to do is to adopt a teen, one that's not your own. And so if you're willing to do that, you just put your name down and we will pair you with a teen. If you've got one that you feel called to, you can let us know about that. But if you will be a person that says, I will pray for this teen, I will send encouraging notes to this teen, Maybe I'll give them a card on their birthday. Maybe I'll take them out somewhere once in a blue moon, right? That's what we're calling you to do. Well, I'm hoping that we have people in here that create these meaningful relationships with these teens, that demonstrate somebody besides their parents who are living this gospel life, somebody that they can go to and talk to and benefit from their maturity, right? I was sitting with a kid this last week, who's lost his dad? Who's lost his grandpa? Whose mom is, I think, out of jail, but in a halfway place. He can't see her. He can't see his brother and sister. I just learned that he had a brother and sister that he can't see. And I played basketball with him. And then I sat down with him and I talked to him about the brokenness of life the brokenness that's inside his life. And I shared the good news, though, with him. And I'm telling you, there is nothing better than that. We need you to do similar things, to be involved in these teens' lives. So I pray over the next two weeks that you will sign up to adopt a teen We'll pair you with one. If you've got one in mind, we'll do that. We just want to make sure that they're all covered. Parents, if you have a teen that you would like to be adopted, if you will, don't, you're not kicking them out. But you can sign them up as well. We're going to ask you to fill out a sheet. Ask them to fill out a sheet. Please print clearly because we want to know their likes, their favorite colors, their favorite maybe candy so that once in a while we can give them that candy or we know what to give them and how to give them something that they want, right? Would you pray about that and do that over the next two weeks? There'll be a sign-up sheet out there. And then the other thing is we need teachers. We need teachers who will come in early on a Wednesday night and sit back there in the room and when these kids come in early, we'll have conversations before the class starts and invest and learn about their lives. We need teachers that will prepare in advance and realize the seriousness of what they're teaching, of the story that they're conveying to these kids, right? 
We need teachers to invest on a Wednesday night. Otherwise, like I said, we don't have enough for not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. So if you'll help out with that, would you see Nancy or myself and let us know? We'll get you a curriculum. We'll help you out. Man, if you think, I just, I'm not good, blah, blah, blah. Man, can you have a relationship with somebody? Can you tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ? I'm asking you to get involved. We need to change this flow where only 10% become disciples. We need to radically change this and be used by God. Amen? Stand with me. Am I forgetting anything, Nancy? Black table out there? Yeah, just grab one. There's clipboards, I'm sure. You can grab them and fill them out. Listen, the cool thing, too, is we're going to ask these teens to mentor young kids, too, right, and do the same thing. Because we want to start this. We want to be intentional. It is. Let me tell you something, too. If you do not understand the story, if you are not living the story, working with teens will be a chore. It will be a job. It will be something that you need to take and get away from. Because it's hard, right? But if you understand the story, you understand God's grace, you are abiding with him, it'll be worth it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the gift of these kids. Father, I pray that we would take this as a responsibility and we would be a church that trains up the next generation, that we would be a church that commends your work to the next generation, Father. We know that we already see that in here, but let us be more intentional about it. Father, give us opportunities. We pray that you'd give us favor with these teens. Father, I pray that these teens would realize how valuable they are. I pray that they would not listen to the lies of the enemy. Lord, I pray that you'd watch over them. Father, I pray that you would make them light in the dark areas in their schools where they go to, Lord. Use them. Call them. Father, I pray that you would remind them that you go with them no matter what they face, Lord. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen.